Welcome back to the Mainland Podcast, everybody. Uh, I am Michael Citro, the managing editor of themainland.com, and uh, welcome once again. I think we're about episode 14 now. Uh, we're in the middle of the MLS season, and we've got extra fixtures coming up. We've got uh, U.S. Open Cup come starting here pretty soon. We're going to have, have our second friendly uh, in not too, the not-too-distant future against West Brom. And... You know, tons of stuff going on and lots to talk to. We'll, of course, get into the San Jose uh, 1-1 draw against the Earthquakes. We'll get into the upcoming game against the Columbus Crew, a little revenge game for the Lions. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about this FIFA mess. Joining me this week, Austin David and Kevin Mercer, both from TheMainland.com. Hey, how's it going, guys? Hello. It's going good. It's going pretty good. <laughs> That's good. Um, so... Why don't we just jump right in? One-one draw out in San Jose. Uh, you know, Orlando City coming off a four-nil victory over Los Angeles Galaxy, trying uh, for the third time to get the first back-to-back wins ever in club history in MLS. And the you know the first half was kind of a cagey affair with with both teams sort of playing a defensive style, not wanting to get too far forward. And and then it's just just after the second half starts, uh, Breck Shea gets sent off and ruins the whole thing. Uh, Kevin, what are you thinking at that point of uh, of the game? Well, you know, when going out there, after, of course, after the big win against L.A., I think everyone wanted to see a, a big win again. I think, you know, San Jose is one of those clubs that's a good club, but certainly a winnable game. And, uh, and then the minute Breck Shea leaves, I think everyone's expectations become tempered. And uh, I think we all kind of strapped on for the wild ride that we've known Orlando City to be this season, where we didn't know quite what to expect. And then, you know, you get the PK and then they you know, give the PK up and kind of a wild game in general. So I think that in the end, I'm satisfied uh, with the one point. But I think going out there, I thought we'd get three, to be honest. So Yeah, and, and it was certainly a possibility. Now, San Jose Earthquakes last year were not a very good team. They do not look like the same team this year. They look like a much, much improved club. And we knew it was going to be a tough match, but certainly, like you said, a, a potential to get three points on the road where Orlando City has, for the most part, played better this year. Um, you go out there and you lose Breck Shea and you instantly think, uh, let's just get a draw out of this game, hopefully. you know. And then, improbably... Uh, Orlando gets a couple of chances and gets a penalty and scores, takes a 1-0 lead. At that point, Austin, what are you thinking is going to happen? I, I had this nagging feeling in the back of my head that something bad was going to happen, honestly, as much as I hate to say it, and it did. Uh, unfortunately, with Darwin Saren, you know, he's still fairly young, and he made a very young mistake going after uh, going after a player who had... Uh, no chance of even turning towards goal, let alone shooting from where he was. Still kind of jumped on his back, easy penalty. And, you know, Chris Wondolowski, and I, I called this last week, he scored his 100th goal. I said he was he said it was going to be a 1-1 draw. The only thing I got wrong was Kyle Lahren not getting a header. So he was close, but, you know, I, I knew it was going to be a draw. It's, um, you know, playing in a, a the atmosphere at Levi's Stadium, uh, it's a bit bigger than the Citrus Bowl. Um, it's a bit emptier than the Citrus Bowl as well. With all the, uh, you know, the, I think they announced over 10,000 fans. I'm not quite sure it was even over six, to be honest. But you know, as far as the game goes, um, like you said, when Breckshay went out, uh, we were all just kind of hoping for a draw, and luckily that happened. 
ultimately coming home with a point. So, uh, you know, a good result really on a road against a good team from the Western Conference uh, where Orlando City has still only lost one game against the Western Conference to this point, And that was in the 96th minute, the sixth minute of four minutes of stoppage time. Uh, to the Vancouver Whitecaps here at the, at the Citrus Bowl. And I, no, I'm, I'm not still bitter or anything. Um, so I guess the big talking point, obviously, is the red card to Breck Shea and how it kind of ruined the game. But uh, Simon Borg, for him, he said, yep, definitely red card. Uh, I know they are talking more about being stricter with guys leaving their feet, but I really don't see any attempt there for Breck Shea to be trying to injure Niasi on the play. It looked like to me just a clumsy attempt to play the ball. And it looked like as soon as he saw the player, he turned his feet downward to make sure he didn't hit him. Uh, Certainly Niasi made the most of it. But what are you guys' thoughts on the red card? I don't blame the referee for giving the red there, the straight red. It could have been a yellow depending on what day or what referee you catch. But I don't really have too much of a problem because from where he was standing, it probably looked worse than it was uh, with him leaving his feet and with Nassi making a little bit more of it than he, sh- than he should have. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I thought it was a red, but the thing that I think confused me the most was the ref for the most part in this game, let play go kind of almost, I mean, I saw a lot of plays that I would have probably thought were fouls that he kind of let go and he seemed to let the, let the to be letting the teams play. And then to kind of go full circle and go all the way back and just and, and, and pull straight red, I thought was different than what he'd been doing the rest of the day. Um, that kind of, you know, he kind of seemed to be kind of playing it very lenient, very loose. And all of a sudden to come off strict, I thought was inconsistent of him. Um, but yeah, I, I think that when you put, when you go to, to ground like that and you kind of put your studs up like that, I think you do put the ref in a position that's hard to really make him. I mean, it's, it puts her up in a really hard position. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think Breck is a little bit – I mean, we've seen him. He's a big, gangly dude, and he's not always the most graceful human being. Well, so you know, um, I, I he came get, up I over the ball. I get carded a lot playing the same way. I get carded just because I'm just not very graceful, and uh, I don't really – I'm not you know uh, malicious about it, but I will get carded because I just run into somebody wrong or something. You know, It happens. So I, I think I'll, uh, I'll play the big man with him and, uh, and relate to that. So his, his his feet came over the ball, and that was probably what the referee saw, and 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 just kind of the way they're trained this year. That that was going to be all she wrote. Austin, what were your thoughts on the the red and the the foul? Well, like Kevin said, I mean, not just this game, but I think a lot of games this year in MLS, there's not much consistency in terms of of the calls that some of the refs make. You know, that they 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 kind of ref the game one way, and then you know you know like kevin said it it just kind of it really didn't seem consistent with the the way the game was going and i've watched the the replay of of breck's um you know red card it looked like niasi was kind of turning to jump as shea went into his feet uh not arguing that it wasn't studs up but i'm just saying niasi kind of sold it um oh yeah and Breck Shea yelled at him. I mean, Breck got in his face after that about oh, yeah. about the way the way he made a meal of that. And also, Adrian Heath said that uh, Dominic Kinnear jumped up off the bench as if his player had been shot. So, um, you <laughs> and, know, and to, the, that didn't help. You know, I mean, I'm sure that helped sell it a little bit as well. Yeah, and the thing is, Niasi kind of just—it's it, it, not like he was injured. He got up right after it was done. You know, he went down, 
you know, sat on his on his butt for a second and got back up. Like it was like it was nothing. It didn't. I mean, it, you know, it didn't harm him in any way. So no, it it it, it didn't. Uh, and it's a, it's a shame that 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 happened because it looked like it was starting to. The game looked like it was starting to maybe get to that point where it might open up a little bit, and I thought that it really would have favored Orlando City in this type of match because uh, San Jose isn't a team that likes to get wide open. They like to be very, very defensive-minded and, and keep their shape and and you know maybe hit you on a counterattack and, and that kind of thing, get get it out to the wide spots and then cross it in for, for Adam John and, and Chris Wondolowski. So, you know... You go out, you get your one point. It, you know, getting back to the inconsistent refereeing this year, I think that's a very gr- good point. I mean, we go back to the Vancouver game, and you know, Orlando City fans were livid with the referee that night. And that week, sure enough, MLS suspends two Vancouver players for play dangerous plays in that game that they didn't get you know sent off for. Uh, so if guys are getting suspended in the midweek by the league, then clearly those should have been fouls and, and red cards given and, and should have been uh, advantage for Orlando City. And who knows, they could have got three points out of that game, a game they dominated anyway, but ended up giving up, giving up a set piece uh, late in the game, as we mentioned earlier. Well, you know, one thing real fast, just thinking about the game itself, though, is I think the takeaway is that you saw a really good reaction from Orlando on the road, playing a man down, um, as the team begins to gel and slowly, we kind of keep talking about this as though the team is still learning to play with each other. I, I liked the reaction from the club that they really did kind of almost turn it up a notch after the red card. So I think that speaks highly to us moving forward. So, yeah, you can't say enough about the way that uh, the center backs, Sean St. Ledger and Seb Hines, played. Uh, they were very resolute, and I thought the back four as a whole played very, very well. Tally Hall included in that as well um they really held down the fort didn't they austin yeah and uh you know their play is kind of why uh coach Heath is is looking at Aurelian Collin and his most recent hamstring injury and basically told him there's no need to rush it uh we're doing you know we're doing fine without him right now uh there's no point in endangering him you know hurting himself more going out there and and trying to play while St. Ledger and Hines are doing very well. And Hines has actually been uh, voted, I think, or nominated for uh, the MLS All-Star Game, one of, uh, I believe, seven Orlando City players. So that that's uh, that's good to see that uh, Orlando City is already getting a bunch of their players' uh, All-Star votes. I think it includes Brexhe, Darwin Saren, Kyle Aaron, Kaka, um, Moby Okugo, and... Um, Someone else that I keep, I Ramos? can't remember right now. Uh, yeah, Ramos. Yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was gonna say if, Ramos, if it wasn't Ramos, then it'd be disappointing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's uh, you know, and that's interesting too because the back line is, is we cut, we came into this season we had talked about it a lot. We were a little worried about the back line, a little thin in numbers, a little thin in maybe experience. Back line's actually done a pretty good job. They have. They really have. And, now you see, um, you know, with Tally Hall taking command back there, they look even better. Um, you know, you got to feel pretty good about the, the defense. Now, that said, they have a very different opponent coming up Saturday night. We'll get into that in just a little bit. Uh, an opponent that, as we've seen, can, you know, put the Straight ball in the net. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As long, so, as, long uh, as there's not another red card for Orlando City. 
Well, let's not even put that out there into the universe, <laughs> Austin, because yeah. things have I, a way of happening. I retract my statement. <laughs> so let's get into this whole thing. Now, I went to bed last night um, before the news really broke about the FIFA thing and other arrests in, in Zurich. And uh, so basically what's happened is finally the FBI has worked very hard at putting together a case against many FIFA officials, uh, primarily for CONCACAF and CONMEBOL. And they're, they're just done fed up with the corruption. And they convinced the Swiss government, which is not usually uh, real, you know, helpful in, in extraditing people, but they got the Swiss to agree to extradite some, some folks for them, apparently, and they made the arrests. And this thing is, is going to go uh, in a lot of different directions, I think. Uh, we've already heard that there's, you know, part of this has been uh, bribery charges stemming back to the 2010 World Cup in South Africa. We've heard some uh, rumblings about a uh, an athletic apparel company that has, uh, you know, perhaps had some improprieties with the, the Brazil World Cup. Uh, hi, Nike, talking about you. <laughs> and um, so, uh, Kevin, you're the you're the historian for the mainland. I wanted to get your take on what is probably a very, for our sport, a very historic day. I hope it is. That's, you know, all day I've been kind of following the news and, you know, in a lot of different perspectives from a lot of different sources. And what I want it to be, my phone blew up this morning, I think at like 6 a.m. with some people asking me what was going on. And I want it to be historic. I want this to be a turning point for for FIFA and, and, and for, I think, the way that we all perceive FIFA, the way, you know, that you know, it's the world's game, yet this is kind of weird cartel that runs it. Um, in almost kind of a gangsterish style, and uh, with really with no sense of of uh, you know right and wrong. I think at the end of the day, like they just kind of think that whatever they're doing is probably okay. Um, so yeah, I really hope today is a big day. You know, you know they also I saw today too. They they've also told all the FIFA executives to not leave Switzerland, including Blatter, um, mm-hmm. which I think is a big deal too. I think that means that you may see more action coming along down the line. Um, but you know, I, at the same time, I don't want to be cynical, but I feel like at the same time, Blatter has insulated himself so well that he's like you know Teflon Don, as we used to you know in the, in the gangster world we used to talk about. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing sticks to him, and he really, I mean, the, the interviews, the the press conferences they gave today, it was kind of like they were surprised it was happening. They didn't, they weren't gonna let it bother them. You know, it was kind of like a family on vacation, going, oh, it's a little rain, we're still gonna have a good time, like. They're still going to do the, the vote Friday. They're still planning on, you know, uh, not re-voting for the World Cups. Um, you know, so this is a lot. I think, a, and, and as we, we we talked earlier today, it's very fluid. This is a fluid moment and a fluid time period for this. Um, but, yes, I hope in the end it's historic. I hope this is a turning point in the end. But I think right now it's too early to tell what's actually going to happen. So, Yeah, I think you're right. Paul Tenorio had a great line today. He wrote uh... – he wrote, it was a great day for soccer. It was a terrible day for soccer. Or, or something along those lines. I'm probably Agreed, misquoting yeah. it, But it was right along those lines. It was, very, it was a good line. Um, one thing that really kind of made me... You had, you have to tip your cap when someone's just such a boss. And Seth Blatter is just such a boss that he came out and made a statement today and basically took credit 
for the arrests today. Right. It's like, we did it. We did this because it was our dossier to the Swiss that, that set this up. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's just like, yeah, we had this planned all along. <laughs> which, which is exactly what, like, a gangster would do. You know, that's exactly yeah. what, you know, uh, uh, Al, Al Capone would do is come out and take credit for it and say, yeah, of course, we were involved in this, you know. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, we, we, uh, we, was it, um, Pee Wee Herman used to say, I meant to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's Seth. Yeah. He's the, he's the Teflon Don and, and he came out and, and, and man, it's, it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. Austin, I want to get your take on this too, but I wanted to ask you a little bit uh, specific question. What are the odds that someone with actual knowledge of wrongdoing by Seth Blatter, what are the odds that someone that they have in custody has enough and turns, you know, state's evidence to help the FBI get him. Close to zero. Uh, to just to, <laughs> to, to put it like that. And, and here's the, the reasoning behind this, because Seth Blatter probably has a lot on those people that he can, you know, make their lives miserable, even if they, they reach a plea deal or whatnot and they turn on Blatter. He probably has enough on them to hang over their head and say, well, if you do this, I'll just release all this information and you, you're screwed for life. So it, if someone really wants to do that and they feel confident enough that, you know, they're going down and they might as well take everyone with them kind of thing, uh, it may happen. But the way that FIFA has, you know, been for the last two decades or so, I do not see that happening. All right. Well, here's the deal. So let's say one of these high ranking officials the FBI's got them dead to rights. They've got, you know, X number of racketeering charges that they can prove, bribery charges, money laundering. You're going away for a long time. We can make a lot of this go away if you give up if you give up uh, Bladder. And there's nothing at that point that Bladder's going to be able to do to retaliate because they've already given immunity, the FBI, given immunity in, in, in exchange for testimony that will help put him away. Bladder won't be able to use his fortune because he's everything he's got is going to be seized. So I think there is still some some light here in the tunnel that that maybe they can get him if if indeed we don't know for sure. We all we have is you know the evidence of of what we've you know seen over the years. We believe that he's as corrupt as hell, but we really don't have any proof. But right, if he have, is, have there seen? there is a chance that this could be the the way they get him. Now, have you seen that uh, ESPN, the E60 documentary that uh, Jeremy Schaap did? I, to my, no, to, I, I have been meaning to get to that, but I haven't it's, actually it's, seen that. It is fantastic. And they have interviews from different people who have, you know, worked for for the uh, Qatari organization, um, you know, when they got their bid and they basically said, yes, this happened, Seth Blatter, you know, it's, it's all on him. You know, and they have it on film and, you know, it, it's kind of funny that all this has kind of happened just a few weeks after that was released. I believe that was uh, two weeks ago that it, it came out, and uh, you know all this development since then is, you know, it's it's kind of it's good to see first of all. But like the you know. like the Qatari World Cup, like I, I'll quote John John Oliver. I hope it was uh, a corrupt you know thing because otherwise. You thought it was a good idea to put it in that country in the summer when it's 120 <laughs> degrees. Like, you know, it's like, I hope there's a bribery because otherwise it's a horrible idea for a World Cup, you know. 
And how many how many workers have already died in in a lot. building stadiums? And I mean, it's it's well, it's like it's reaching atrocity. I mean, it, it's it has reached atrocity levels. I mean, it's just also you can't leave the country. So when you go in the country to work, and these are most mostly uh, Nepalese and Indian workers, when you go into the country, your employer gets your passport. You cannot leave the country unless your employer lets you leave the country, which basically makes it a modern slave state. Yeah. And this is absolutely horrific. I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, to this point, I mean, you guys, I think everyone knows how much I love this sport. I love the game. I love the World Cup. Every year I, I take the time off of work and I go and hang out with my dad and we watch the first week together and then, you know, that sort of thing. But I'm really considering, I don't, I don't know how I could watch that World Cup, you know, at this point with what I know, with what's going on. It sounds like blasphemy, you know, to even say, like, how can I watch it? But mm-hmm. it, it's hard for me to imagine enjoying something that I know has been so just from top to bottom. It's, it's, it's a horrible thing, you know, it's horrible. So, And it, it's not going to be any better in 2018 in Russia because <laughs> we've already seen deaths of workers uh, setting up for the Sochi Olympics. And now they're going to be doing you're going to be using prison labor in Russia for the World Cup construction. Which, you know, that's – again, these are not – these are not humane things to be doing. And I think that, that the very first thing FIFA has to address when they even entertain these bids is who's going to be building these. If you don't have the structures in place, like a country like – I don't know, let's say the United States um, <laughs> or, you know, any number of European countries – if you don't have the if you don't have the capacity currently to do this, how is it getting built? These questions are not being asked, obviously, and it is not worth human life to put on a spectacle, you know, and and win the bid to host the World Cup. Well, then on Just top isn't. of that, like you have like in Brazil, where those stadiums now empty, and I think one of them is a bus depot, and I mean it's just like, you know, we're building infrastructure, you know, tearing apart neighborhoods to do it. And then leaving it behind for you know to, for the for nature to destroy you know it's it's mm-hmm. wasteful as well you know and hasn't already one of the Brazilian World Cup venues been torn down? I believe so. If not, if it hasn't been torn down, it's been repurposed for something else. So, mm. so you know, I think there's going to be a lot to this story, and 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 usually this isn't what we talk about on the mainland podcast. We're you know mainly Orlando City and MLS, but it, it's too big a story to ignore. Um, obviously for our sport. And I I think as we go along, I'm just going to try to focus on, you know, the charges and what's going on. And if there's some way they can take that, take those games away from cutter, they need to get it done. And and they could even take rushes away, even though that's, that's not very far away now, but they could take rushes away as well. And I think that if you were, if you are going to uh, use inhumane practices to get these things built, then you, you have no business hosting. Yeah. So anyway, we'll see what happens. There's a long way to go. These are early days in this story, and it's gonna it's gonna be in the news, I think, for for quite some time, and we'll we'll have to uh, follow along. Uh, as I speak, I see that we do know now that on June 17th we will travel to Charleston for the U.S. Open Cup. To play the battery at Blackbaud Stadium 
as the battery have come from behind to win 3-2 over the Fort Lauderdale striker. So no Florida Derby. Yeah, it's disappointing. We've never played Fort Lauderdale, so I was looking forward to that. Yeah, and that would have been a home match had it been uh, Fort Lauderdale winning that game, which I have no idea what the U.S. Open Cup is doing. They don't obviously don't do it like they do it in Europe, where they draw the venue. You're going to be home no matter who you play. Right. Or you're going to be on the road regardless of who you play. I don't know how one was on at home and one was on the road. I'm not sure what makes that fair. Uh, but, hey, we've got a little ways to go to catch up with some of those leagues that have been around for 100 years. Well, I would, you know, you do know, and I'll, I have a, an article coming out, that the, actually the U.S. Open Cup is the third oldest soccer contest in the world. Yeah, but so. our league, none of the, none of the current leagues competing in it have been around for what more than twenty years. Yes, this is true. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, well, the the NASL has some history. They they kind of died and came back. It's not the same NASL. <laughs> it's not the same. I know. It's, it's like it's New same, Coke. But it's the same name. Yeah, well, <laughs> and some of the like, same yeah, names. like you said, like New Coke. You have Coke and then Coca Cola Classic. It's the same thing, but different. Only not. Yeah, but not. <laughs> We can't right. figure out if they're the second or third division anymore, so, you know. And, now, oh, now, and, and speaking of that, that uh, U.S. Open Cup game, that week, that week of June that Orlando City plays Charleston on Wednesday, they play D.C. United at home that Sunday before, and then travel up to Montreal and play at Stade Saputo on that Saturday. So that's going to be a really, really rough week for the team, because you have three, <laughs> three games in the span of seven days. And possibly without Kaká. Yeah, that's we will that's, be finding out possible. here. In, we will be finding out just here in a few days um, whether or not he's on the final uh, Copa America roster for Brazil. Um, we suspect he may not be on the final twenty. Was it twenty three man roster? But he could be. <laughs> well, Especially if that company tells him. Oh, good. Sorry, awesome. awesome. That's all right. I was, uh, saying, so, I was just saying that 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 company. They have any say in it? Uh, the one that picks the the players for Brazil, you know, if it's not the coach's choice. What 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 was that that whole thing again? The company has like picked the players since for the last like few years. They sold, or yeah. Supposedly they sold. Allegedly they sold the rights to pick the team for. I believe it was for friendlies. Oh okay. Not but, for not for meaningful matches like this. Okay. That's. I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, it depends on who you want to believe. That, really. That that's also true. It's, it's anywhere from all games to no games at all. We didn't do any of that. So Wait, More corruption in, in the world of soccer? I, I don't understand. Yes. Where is my shocked face? <laughs> uh, so anyway, let's turn our attention to Saturday night back at the Citrus Bowl in front of hopefully another uh, nice crowd. I think they're already about 24,000 sold. Um Kind of a revenge game. Orlando City will be playing Columbus Crew SC. And uh, the last time we faced them was just coming off a big 2-0 win at Portland. We go to Columbus, and Rafael Ramos loses his mind, uh, has a giveaway that leads to a goal, and then within a minute is sent off. And for a long part of the game, like an hour, uh, Orlando City forced to play a very good attacking team with 10 men, and uh, didn't go very well. Uh, 3-0 loss. Columbus comes in. Uh, Ethan Finley's a little banged up. He's got a broken toe. May not play, but he has been training. Um, 
my guess would be that maybe he starts the game on the bench and they see if they need him, see how he feels. He probably could go pretty hard for about 20 minutes, but I don't know about with a broken toe if you can go 90. Um, Kevin, you wrote a little bit about wanting revenge and and you know really looking forward to this game. What do you uh, you know What are your thoughts on Saturday night? You know, I hate we always hate to call them must win games. And I think early in the season, you don't want to say that it's a must-win game. But I think this is the biggest game of the season so far. I think for the team's psyche, I think for the fans, I think for the coaching staff, I think this is a game that we have to win because I think we need to redeem ourselves. I don't think that anyone thought, you know, the Columbus game was the first time we saw our team not act like our team. You know, the first time we really, we didn't lose close. We didn't try real hard, but not do very well at the end, which is what kind of our MO has been this season. This was one we just didn't. We just lost, and uh, regardless of Ramos's card, the team, you know, capitulated instantly after the card. I mean, they fought a little bit here and there, but really not much. It wasn't a good game, and I think that we can exercise those demons by winning this one. And um, I, I think that that they're they're a team that we'll compete with for for a playoff spot. They're a team we could meet in the playoffs, and I think they're a team that we need to tell right now. On Saturday, that we're not going to, that we're not a team that's going to get beat by them that like that again. So I think it's a huge game for us. I think that every fan that you know needs to be out there. Columbus Crew isn't, isn't a team that's going to draw tons of fans to the stadium, but I think it's a huge game for us. So yeah, and they're um, you know they're they're a team that uh, their fans are a little bit salty uh, with our blog because of something that Andrew wrote. Uh, Andrew uh, Marcinko. One of our editors, he uh, he wrote that Columbus had mid to low table talent, and although you know I've been watching them as somebody from Columbus, I've been watching them for years and paying attention to them for years because they were the hometown team. Even though I moved out of town basically when they arrived in Columbus, I was already living elsewhere. But I sort of kept my eye on them from afar, and I watch their games when I have had a chance, and I've I've been to Crew Stadium or whatever atrocity they're calling it now, Mopre. <laughs> Um, and so I know that they're a talented team and I knew that. And I, I read that when I edited a story and I left it in there because I want my guys to have their voice. And if that's the, what his opinion, then I would leave it in there. But I knew if things didn't go well, we we're going to get dinged and man, did, did their, their fans ever let us have it. Um, just, just absolutely roasted us on Twitter and, and still, still very upset about that line. And, 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 you know, that's the kind of thing that, though that had really not much to do with the game. I mean, obviously Ramos's foul was ridiculous. Um, and that was a very chippy game. And I don't think it was all chippy from Orlando's side. I thought Tony Chani was very, very dirty in that game. Yeah. Um, and Francis was as well uh, at times, but you know, to me, it looked like this is the kind of thing that can drive a rivalry. It's, it was a scrappy game and now the fans are all over, you know, our blog and, and they are by extension, our fans. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with this because, you know, rivalries do happen organically. And this is the kind of thing that is an organic beginning, a potential beginning to a, a rivalry in, a, in an East Coast or an Eastern uh, Conference that, uh, you know, as you said, will be fighting for them, fighting for them for a playoff spot. And if Orlando City beats Columbus this week, they'll jump them in the table. So right. it should be a very spirited game. And unfortunately, Austin, no Breck Shea because of the red card uh, out at San Jose. And, uh, you know, there are some 
possibilities of who we're going to see in the lineup in his place or whether we'll keep the same shape. What are your thoughts on what we will see Saturday? Well, I think my opinion, uh, which has been kind of dumped upon by most people, actually, I wanted, I want to see Lewis Neal playing. Uh, he's fresh off, uh, you know, his, his, uh, neck or back injury that he had for a while. He missed, uh, nine games. Um, but in, in this situation, uh, playing against a, a good team, uh, you, you really want someone with veteran experience and someone who knows Adrian Heath's system. And that's, you know, the, the, the prototypical guy is, is Lewis Neal. Plus, he's playing with his, his good buddy, uh, Luke Bowden now. So, yeah, I've, I've been wanting to see that since the beginning of the season. I wanted to see Bods and, and Neal playing up front and then slowly transition to Brecken and uh, Carlos Rivas, and uh, speaking of Carlos Rivas, he's another option, uh, still iffy, uh, I believe uh, Coach Heath said in an interview he missed 50 training sessions so far since he's joined Orlando City, which is a lot, so this is, uh, he said this is the first time that he's had two full weeks of training, which is good, so that means mm-hmm. hopefully he can you know, if, if he is chosen for the starting eleven, he can be put in there and and use his his uh, incredible speed to his advantage. Uh, something that we haven't really gotten to see just yet. Um, and then there's also the option of changing our shape. We could go a four-three-three like we did in Portland, uh, where we have uh, Amobi Okugo with Iguita and Saren, and then you have Kaká drifted out to the left with Avila on the right. Uh, you could see a four-four-two with Martin Patterson and uh, Kyle Laren up top, and uh, I mean, there's so many other options. Those are the four that I can really think of. Oh, and then Pedro Rivero, uh, he's coming back from injury, and he can kind of play anywhere. So he he can just kind of be there uh, wherever coaching staff really needs him to be. The problem with this week, as I see it, is that you got a bunch of guys returning, but none of them are going to be 90 minute match fit. Mm-hmm. So Ribeiro or Neil, if they start, they're going to maybe play half, and, and then they're going to have to be subbed out. So it, it could be a case where you see Rivas and Neil maybe on the left uh, with one of them starting and then the other coming on later. Uh, you may see Avila on the right give way to, to Ribeiro, but then again, you know things in the match can change if somebody takes a knock. So it, it's really dicey to go in with that strategy of, oh, I'm just going to take this guy off at halftime because you never know what happens if a center back goes down or something. So, uh, and you know, hopefully Aurelian Collin also uh, will be in the 18. Uh, guys are getting healthy, which is good, but they got to get match fitness, and that's the next step. And and that's that's a good thing that we're going to, you know, we're going to have some fixtures coming up, so guys are going to, they're going to get plenty of playing time and get match fit. But, uh, you know, again, a little bit thin, Due to call-ups, Connor Donovan's with the U20 team, and uh, Tyler Turner called up this week to the U23 team, which got waxed today by France. Yeah. Um, uh, but Tyler wasn't in the lineup, so you can't blame him. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he should have been. Um, so, I don't know. I, I see this game as, a, as a, a game that Orlando City needs to get a result for, for one reason, really. To get a string of results. I mean, getting results in two games in a row, okay, that's one thing. But if you put results together, points together three straight games, that's the kind of thing that leads down the road to playoffs, you know, confidence and, and more more wins and playoff 
positioning and that kind of thing, especially when you steal points away from those that you're fighting against. And and there's some critical games coming up with with Columbus and Chicago, and it's going to be amazing that we will we will have have finished three games against DC United before July. Yeah. So, wow. <laughs> um, you know, don't really want to see those guys again because you outplay them and then you get beat. So <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's no fun. You know, you outplay them for a good portion of the game and lose by a goal. But um, I don't know. What are you guys thoughts on Saturday night? What's going to happen? What are your predictions? I mean, you know, typically we will bring in guests and we'll have different segments, but we've kind of just done this long wrap session uh, on this this edition of the mainland podcast and so it's time to sort of wrap it up and and, and talk about saturday night and what we think is going to happen um kevin i'm gonna start with you I, w- I want your your critical matchup of the game and then you know give me your what you think is going to happen well i think columbus is like i said i think they're a talented club they're you know i will i won't call them a lower to mid table also they're a mid table club though um they're certainly not an, an upper table club but they're certainly a dangerous club that will be competing with all season for, for position. Um, they're a little bit like DC in that they're, they're, they're veteran enough that they can take points when maybe they haven't played the best they have um, to back up. But I've got to back up my article. I got to say that this is an important game for, for, for the lions. And um, we need to, to really make a state. This is a statement game for us. So I, I say we have to win two or three, nothing. And I think that may be a challenge, but we're at home. It's hot. Uh, I played today. Florida is hot now. Uh, even in the evening, <laughs> it's hot. And uh, guys from Columbus are not going to be used to that. Um, we can use that to our advantage. So yeah, I think that's my you know my critical take is this is a this is a, a, a big game for us. We the, the crowd needs to come out loud, and uh, the Lions need to, to really make a statement in this game. Like you said, com- to make those. Uh, you know, a string of, uh, of of good results in a row. Um, I think everything points to this is going to be a big game for us. So, so yeah, I'm going to say 2 nothing. All right, what's your critical matchup in the game? Critical matchup, I think, is going to be the midfield. Um, I think you've got us with a, a little bit of a weakness in the midfield. Uh, you know, our defense has always been strong. Uh, Laren's been doing very well, very well up front. But I think you're going to see without Kaká, without Shea, I think is going to be a bit of a challenge there. Um, and I think you have to see Kaká take more of a, maybe a little bit more of a, a little more of a ball hog than he usually is. He looks to pass real easily. I think that's the big, the big matchups with the midfield though. And they've got a great midfield as well. So I think that's where it's at. All right, Austin, what's your critical matchup in the game and, and what are your, what's your prediction? I think my critical matchup is, is Kai Kamara. I mean, he leads the MLS in goals with nine, uh, right now. Uh, you know, he's come back to MLS this year in full force. He's, uh, averaging, I think, two goals a game at this point. Uh, at least that's what it feels like. And he torched Orlando City. He should have had, I think, two goals uh, when we played them. Uh, one got waved off. So, uh, you know, the defense really just has to contain him and, and make sure someone's kind of knows where he is at all times. Because it's even though he is a big guy, he can he can slip back there and kind of just be at the right place at the right time to get a goal and I, and I think you know I, I wrote this when when uh, Orlando played Columbus the first time is that I think that's one thing that Orlando is missing is that target striker who who knows where to be you know and can kind of poach goals kind of like a Chris Wondolowski or Kai Kamara kind of type um, so in terms of the game itself 
Um, I think Orlando City will probably play better than most people expected, and I think Columbus will actually possibly be a little more tired because they had a midweek friendly against Valencia uh, Wednesday night, and I think they lost 1-0, but their starters, most of them, played the first 45 minutes. I know Kai uh, and Federico Higuain, Justin Miriam, Tony Chani, they all played the first 45, so that could come into you know, into play a little bit going forward. Um, not sure how much it'll affect the team, but, you know, it's, it's, they're playing on a shorter rest than they usually would. So I'm going to go with a... I'm going to go with a 1-0 win for Orlando City. And I'm going to say that Kaká scores a... Uh, a goal just inside the 18. Hmm. All right. Well, you know, that's pretty uh, specific as always, Austin. Thanks. <laughs> um, so here's the thing for me and, and that my, my critical matchup, first of all, is going to be the same on both ends. It's Kai Kamara against the center backs, whether that, whether it's Colin and Hines or St. Ledger and Hines, it's, or, 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 you know, St. Ledger and Colin. It, whoever the two center backs are, that is going to be a key matchup against Kamara and, and, and controlling him. And at the same time, Kyle Laren has got to shake free of Pogatetz and Parkhurst at the other end. So that's my other the other critical matchup. So it's two strikers against the center backs. Uh, whichever one has the better game is probably going to come out on top in the game. I think Orlando City's been doing a good job of scoring goals at home lately, uh, and I like their I like them getting forward at home and the way that they've played, especially against L.A. Um, if they can put together 90, I know they weren't happy about the 90 they played at San Jose. They felt like they should have taken more from the game. I think that'll play into that. I think maybe the Columbus being a little, having a little tired legs might play into it a little bit um, if it's an up and down game, especially. Um, but I just don't know that I can – these two teams are very similar in the way they like to attack you, but Columbus is far, far the more experienced MLS club. So I'm going to say that it's going to be a 2-2 draw. I think that it's going to be hard to keep Columbus off the board the way they attack. I, I think Justin Miram is a terrific player. I think Ethan Finley is a terrific player. If he can go, that's certainly going to help them. Kamara has been unbelievable. Iguain, we saw what kind of magic he could he could produce, you know, when we went up there. Uh, I think this is better than a mid-table club. Personally, I I picked them to finish third in the East um, in the uh, SB Nation Soccer Managers uh, poll. So I picked them to finish behind uh, DC, and um, <laughs> and I actually picked Toronto second, um, which was not uh, turning out to looking too good right now. <laughs> it's not too late. Not too uh, but yeah, I mean, given the talent that that Toronto brought in, I thought they would they would we'd see more out of them. But I picked them, you know, behind DC and Toronto to finish third in the table in the Eastern Conference, and I still think they can finish third or even second. No, wait, I didn't pick Toronto. I picked New England. I picked uh, I picked DC, New England, Columbus. So I didn't pick Toronto. So I, I guess I'm not as bad as I thought I was. <laughs> um, so I see a two-two draw here. Are as you thought they were, so that's okay. Yeah. So, and of course, you never know what the wild cards are going to be, and you know somebody gets sent off. Uh, you know, hopefully it will be for the opponents because we have not had an opponent sent off this year. Um, and I'm not sure how many teams can say that in MLS this season. <laughs> There's been a lot of red cards. 
and a lot of ye- a lot of double yellows. So um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, it certainly is a big game. I think there'll be a big crowd that's going to help. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the midfield gels without Breck Shea. They were, I think, just starting to gel with him. Yeah. And uh, so that's unfortunate. But uh, you know, and I would like to see personally would like to see a four four two with Patterson and Laren up, you know, worrying that back line and not letting uh, Columbus's left and right backs get forward. One thing that's different uh, is, although he's replaced by a decent player, uh, Hernan Grana leaving uh, leaving the Columbus crew since the last time we played them, and he was a catalyst uh, in that in that melee. After you know Ramos uh, got the card, Grana chased him down the field, uh, you know, like a petulant child. So. Um, he was one of those players too. He gets forward, he gets dangerous balls in the box, and he certainly is a pest and and can get under your skin. So I'm kind of glad he's not going to be there. <laughs> uh, so I guess that pretty much wraps it up for this mainland podcast. I really appreciate you guys, uh, you know, coming on and and giving your thoughts on all that we've talked about. We've talked for quite a while. Uh, so you know, for my good friends Austin David. And Kevin Mercer from TheMainland.com. I'm Michael Citro, signing off. Go City. Go City. Woo!